with insight on a particular kind of person who needs to be given a sharp word of rebuke, there's Pastor Ed Ray. They deteriorate to animal instincts, and they're lazy gluttons. They don't want to work, but they want their bellies full all the time. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Rebuke them abruptly, sharply. It's necessary sometimes to be a little rude, to appear to be rude, to help someone who is in danger of hurting themselves. Someone has said the job of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted, but also at times to afflict the comfortable. There are times when it's better to risk offending someone in the moment rather than losing them for a lifetime or for eternity. We'll hear about one of those occasions today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Titus chapter 1 addresses some difficult people with some challenging issues, and we'll consider what gets in the way of full fellowship with God. Pastor Ed gets us started by reading our scripture. We're working our way through scripture, verse by verse. Now in the small book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. But as for you, here's the good news. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, sound teaching, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So it is Father's Day, a couple of dad stories. So little boy asks his dad, Dad, are bugs good to eat? Dad says, let's not talk about such things as the dinner table, son. After dinner, the father said, okay, now, son, what is it you wanted to ask me? The little boy said, oh, it's not important now. There was a big green bug in your salad, but it's gone now. 
<laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, Ken Smith is a pastor. He's talking about his dad. He said, my dad teaches U.S. history at a community college. Four students walked in halfway through the American history final he was giving. Sorry, they said. We had a flat tire. An understanding man, my dad, said that if they could all answer just one question correctly, he would give each of them an A for the exam. They quickly agreed, so dad handed each one a blank piece of paper, placed them in the four corners of the room apart from each other, and said, write down which tire was flat. (laughs) Ooh, some dads aren't entirely stupid. Okay, so we've been studying uh, in a new book, a letter written by a man to his son in the faith, Titus. Paul the Apostle had several young men that he poured himself into. And this one, Titus, is a young man on the island of Crete. And by God incidence, not coincidence, but a God incidence, we were there with a, a group from the church just a few weeks ago. And the island of Crete is just a spectacularly beautiful island. So don't feel too sorry for Titus. He's got a tough job ahead of him, but it's just a nice place to, to visit, probably a nice place to live. The eastern side of the island is a little drier, but it's filled with churches. The ancient was a country that goes very early, about 5,000 years ago, the Minoans started a culture there. And so a lot of archeology span going on there, great place to visit. But it's there that Paul had gone with this young man, Titus, and they were going there to correct some problems in the churches that were there. Why were there problems? Well, it seems that the church was started, the various churches there on the island of Crete were started by people who had been at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you remember. Holy Spirit came like a mighty wind on a room filled with 120 disciples. There were tongues of fire over their heads. They spoke in other tongues. And it says that some of the people listening were from the island of Crete. Evidently, they believed in Jesus Christ as Messiah and went back to the island and started churches. But it wasn't organized. And so now it's 25 or 30 years later, and Paul is there with this young man, Titus, to try and get the churches to work together. Nothing's really changed in 2,000 years. Uh, There's still difficulties with churches getting along. That's why we have so many denominations and non-denominations. But Paul wants them to be healthy, to be growing communities, and there's a problem. The biggest problem is a group of people who were Jews who had come there to convince these new believers that they should become Jews. Now, we've seen that several times in Paul's letters. It's also in the book of Acts chapter 15. It was there that Paul came in Acts 15 to Jerusalem for a council for all the apostles had gathered together trying to figure out whether Gentiles needed to become Jews before they could become in full fellowship with God. Now, Paul stood up and delivered a strong statement. He had Titus, this young man, with him. Titus's name appears 13 times in the New Testament. And it was settled there that Gentiles were not to become Jews, that they were not to be circumcised, that they were not to try and keep the law. In fact, Peter stood up and said, why would we yoke these Gentiles with things to do which neither we nor our fathers could do? Now Paul is 
helping this young man, Titus, to apply those words to the island of Crete. So this is a contrast. The first section is about what not to do, what not to be, verse 10 through 16. And then groups of people that he's speaking to, mature men, one and two, then mature women, then younger women, and then younger men. The things that he says are very similar to the same things he said to Timothy or choosing elders and whatnot. But it's interesting contrast, and this is a battleground. It's an area that speaks about women, young wives, in submission to their husbands, and it's a set of verses that a wise pastor would not teach on, okay? But we don't do things that way around here. We just forge right on through and you just keep writing letters because I'm always glad to hear from you whether it's negative or positive, okay? So here we go. Buckle up. Fasten your seatbelts and get your pens or your smartphones ready to email. Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So these are the what not to be sort of lists. These insubordinate, the word is translated rebellious, not giving in to anyone, not submitting to anyone. I think it's fair to say that we are living in a nation that is struggling with this concept of submission, that uh, we have people who refuse to submit to anyone, law enforcement, fire, doctors, teachers, professors, parents, and so it's an important subject, not a very popular subject. We're Americans, we like to be free, we have our independence, which usually means you thumb your nose at everybody and do whatever you want. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. And in fact, when they turn that little light on behind you and you've been driving 85 down the freeway, uh, if you're smart, you pull over because they, like, they have guns and stuff. <laughs> and so you will submit one way or the other. So you can submit now or you can submit later. It works in all kinds of areas. So Paul is saying th these are people, these Jews who had come who refused to submit to the words of Jesus, in fact. And uh, he calls them rebellious people in the NIV. They're mere talkers. They're idle talkers. They're impressive in their speech, but they don't say anything. They just babble on. That's not a city, that's a person. Deceive people. They are using their gift of gab to convince people to do things that are wrong. And the worst offenders were these Jewish evangelists who were coming of the circumcision. These, they demanded that Gentile believers be circumcised and keep 613 Old Testament laws and all the various traditions of men, Jesus called them, commandments of men. Still a problem to this day. Many young Christians get caught up, particularly those who have a Jewish background, get caught up in the law and they miss the point of grace. Now, Paul is really strong about this in his book to the Colossians, his book to the Ephesians, and, and most of the book of Romans is about this subject. Do not submit yourself to the law, he says over and over again, and give up the freedom God has given you. This is Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's giving us a cautionary word about those who would seek to undermine grace. We continue now with the second half of today's teaching 
in Titus chapter 1, picking up in verse 11, once again, here's Pastor Ed. Whose mouth must be stopped, verse 11, a very strong statement. The word stop is a plug used in a pipe. The Greek word means to stop the leak. And these pastors of these churches, he's telling Titus to tell him, don't allow these guys to teach. It's just going to stumble young believers. That might sound harsh, but we're talking about eternity here, about somebody's understanding what salvation really is. So they subvert old households. They overthrow. They ruin. He may be talking about house churches. Most of the churches were in a home in the first century, but probably he's also talking about families themselves, all for a bad motive, teaching things which they ought not to for the sake of dishonest gain. Imagine evangelists trying to get money for the gospel. Good thing that doesn't happen today. You guys should buy me a jet. I need a jet. (laughs) You can keep the Rolls Royce. I, I, I don't get Rolls Royces. Jet would be fun. Okay, verse 12. I'd take you for a ride. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. If you're starting a garage band, here's some great names for your band. I think the evil beasts should be right there on the top of the list. Lazy gluttons, probably not quite as attractive, but okay, so what's going on here? It's really kind of interesting. So there's this early church historian called Clement of Alexandria. He was born in like 150, so it's about 60 years, 70 years after this. But he writes about this verse that Paul is quoting a Cretan poet. Actually, he's a prophet for the Greek religion. He's from 605 BC, Epidemius. And Epidemius was this poet who was also pushing the Greek religion where Zeus is the top god, etc., etc. But he wrote this poem, and this poem was rather famous. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul is this widely read, that he can quote a poet more than 600 years before Paul was born, and it's Greek, so, you know, Paul's a Jew, so he's obviously a brilliant guy. But he's actually using it in an interesting way. So he uses it against uh, these Cretans who were in danger of this. This is what they were nationally known for. And because he's Cretan, because he's from the island of Crete, he can say anything and nobody can be offended with him. Like, you know, I'm Scotch-Irish, and so I can say stuff about Scots-Irish that if you're not, you can't say. You know, I can say, oh, they're all tightwads, those Scotsmen, and the Irish are all drunks. And you can't be offended if you are an Irish and a drunk because I are one too, okay? That's what's going on here. Paul is using this Cretan poet to confront both Titus and the people he's going to speak to, that this is a national problem on this island, this island nation. So here's the poem. They fashioned a tomb for thee, O holy and high one, the Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, and idle bellies. But thou art not dead. Thou livest and abide forever. For in thee we live and we move and we have our being. Now, if you were here during the book of Acts or you're a student of Scripture, that last line will sound familiar. Paul quoted the same poet 
on Mars Hill in Athens. And there he used this creation to explain the temple that were all built around there and the altar to the unknown gods because Epidemius is the reason for that. Now, if you want to read further and bury yourself in a great book, get Don Richardson's book, Eternity in Their Hearts. And he explains this whole use by Paul in two sections in the New Testament of this man, in both Acts 17, 28, and here in Titus. So that's just free information for you, and you can get into one other little piece that's, if you've ever taken a Philosophy 101 course in college, this is something that's discussed. It's called Epimenides' Paradox. It's a paradox because he is, in fact, Cretan, but he's not lying. Paul says so in the next verse. This is true. <laughs> so the paradox is, of course, that he always lies, but not this time. All right? So anyway, you can, that's a little mind twister. He says they're cruel animals, evil brutes, that they deteriorate to animal instincts, and they're lazy gluttons. They don't want to work, but they want their bellies full all the time. And then he says, verse 13, and this testimony is true. You can bet on it. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The testimony is true. Cretanize was a, a slang word for a liar in first century Greek. And I still hear occasionally somebody use it. Uh, I was living like a Cretan. And this is where it comes from, this particular section. Rebuke them abruptly, sharply, Paul says. It's necessary sometimes to be a little rude, to appear to be rude, to help someone who is in danger of hurting themselves, for safety's sake. I worked in a hospital long enough and saw enough really bad accidents in the emergency room and stuff where a lot of times people who are hurt are laying on a gurney with 10 people sat around and they're buck naked and nobody's worried about whether they're embarrassed or not because you're trying to save their life. If your house is on fire and you call the fire department and the door, front door is locked, you're not upset if they use a gigantic hatchet, a giant axe to cut into your door so they can get in and make sure no one's in there. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about men who were stumbling other people from really understanding God's free gift of grace. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. None of us can boast in any way. In other words, nobody earns salvation. It is God's free gift. And when you start piling on the extra stuff, well, you need to get circumcised. You really need to keep these laws. You need to eat these kind of foods and don't eat these kinds of foods. That's a stumbling block. And it's presented itself over and over again in, in the years that I've been in ministry, particularly among young Jewish believers, that they'll get confused with their national pride and they'll want to go back and keep the law and they'll miss the beauty of God's free gift of grace. And it's important to keep renewing that in our hearts and in our minds so we remember we didn't deserve this. And so when you start seeing your life changing for the good and you're starting to get it together, you won't be a Pharisee. You would say, well, yeah, you know, golly, I'm, I'm pretty special. God's lucky to have me in the kingdom of God, and God is choking in heaven over that. You know, no, he loves us, but 
we keep reminding ourselves it is a gift. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. That's what Jesus said. The commandments of men were being embraced while uh, God's law of love was being ignored. That's thus the Samaritan story, etc. So Paul's saying that, remember, Paul's a Jew, so he understood this better than most, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. These people were getting sucked in by this thing. Jewish fables, at this time, there were a whole body of writing in Jewish centers in Hebrew of fables. They're fairy tales. They're fantasy. They're collected today, and, and they're called the Talmud. I don't mean to offend anyone, but they are taking Old Testament stories and embellishing them. That's what Paul is talking about. It was a, a little while after this, before it was codified, and it was actually all put together. But he's talking about fables that were circulating at that time, often to fanciful things, commandments of men. Jesus said, Mark 7, 8, you ignore God's law and you substitute man-made laws. You're not doing the things that you should do. And actually, Paul continues in the same logic of Jesus, verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their minds and conscience are defiled. Their conscience are seared. And because they allow so much trash to go through, you're no longer moved by things that should move you. You, you watch enough junky movies and it'll harden you and your own conscience won't respond the way it's supposed to. It's not what the Jews were saying that your food makes you holy. Jesus said, Matthew 15, 11, it's not what goes into the mouth of a man that defiles him, but what comes back out. And so that's what's going on here. They are trying to keep the old covenant, the obsolete, hello, law. It's not my word. That's scripture, Hebrews 8, 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Now, I know in this area, a lot of you have grown up under that, that, well, the Old Testament laws is, is, is good and we should try and keep it. No. If you try and keep one point of the law and you fail, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You can't add to the cross. You can't say, Jesus, you know, thank you for dying for me. Now I'll do some good stuff. I'll not eat bat wings or bottom feeders, and that will make me more holy. Not. <laughs> uh, okay, I can just see some of you are really struggling with that. Again, okay, here it is, 1 Timothy 4.3. They forbid people to marry and to order them to abstain from certain foods. Don't eat this which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. Hello? Everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. There are no foods that will send you away from God. None. Verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They're claiming to love God. They're false teachers with false fables and traditions. They profess to know God, but they're not. Pastor Ed Ray concluding today's Grow in Grace with insight on the relationship between what we think 
and what we say. We'll pick up on this point next time. That's here on Grow in Grace. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me